Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric, and I'm joined today on Double Feature by Michael Kester. That's right, just two guys, and we're having a good time uh, on this episode of Double Feature. Oh my God, you know, I give you any opening to say anything in the intro, and I just know what's coming. Yeah, well. Nobody knows what's coming on this fucking Double Feature today. <laughs> um, we're doing Brokeback Mountain and the Death of Dick Long today. One of those movies, I'm sure, even if you haven't seen it, you're very familiar with. And the other one is about two cowboys that go up onto him. No, the other one is uh, <laughs> The Death of Dick Long, which is, um, it was an A24 movie from a couple years ago. And uh, both of these movies are um, people who supposedly love animals being awful to them. That's the theme of the right. <laughs> double feature today. Yeah, I wanted to talk today about the uh, emotional vulnerability of the men in Flyover Country. That's wow. essentially the that's the little bite-sized morsel. So if you're not interested in that, hop over to the end of the show. Man, we'll, we are never going to pick up those Ben Shapiro listeners. I know. Every week, I'm just trying to scoop a few yeah. out, and it's just not happening. I, I'll work on my Ben Shapiro impression. I'll just try and do a whole show like him, but without his content. Maybe that's what that's what people want. Because when I think Ben Shapiro, I'm like, man, I love his delivery. I just wish his content was best. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine Ben Shapiro doing a segment on Brokeback Mountain? First of all, if you know, if he was five years older, that might have actually happened. But right. Instead, just you know, imagine the the WAP meme that went around with Ben Shapiro. Just imagine that, and that's probably basically the same. Yeah. Man, yeah, you had me thinking about that with this double feature, actually, because I remember the fucking controversy back when Brokeback Mountain came out. Yeah. So um, uh, that is such a landmark movie. Yeah. And The Death of Dick Long, I had not seen yet. So this was totally new to me. And there, uh, you know, I think this is, I think there's going to be heavy spoilers tonight. So if you are the the type of person who is concerned about spoilers... I would see these movies before you listen to the show because there are very critical plot elements that I feel like uh, I, I feel bad even making jokes because I'm kind of giving away little bits. Mm -hmm. Probably better you just go in cold, see the movies, and you know, see both of them if you haven't seen them. I know you know what Brokeback Mountain is. I know we've all heard of Brokeback Mountain. We're not unearthing any rare films today or anything. Speaking of broke, patreon.com forward slash double feature. Ah, the real reason you put this on the show so you wouldn't have to do <laughs> any work with your transitions. Wow. <laughs> um, that's where you can go. You can, um, you can go there. You can keep our show alive so we can keep bringing you quality content like today's pair. And if you think I'm joking, you give me 45 minutes and you'll see that I'm not. And uh, you you know you can pick movies for programming. You can go back into our back catalog and f prove to yourself that we have in fact not covered Brokeback Mountain, which is really one of the hardest pills to swallow. But uh, that's a good spot for you to go. Give us some money. Keep the things you love alive. Keep the show you love alive, or our show, however you want to look at right, it. Right. We're also on Patreon.com, so you should go there as well. 
<laughs> yeah, come be part of this. Be part of the show. Recommend some movies and uh, send us some messages. You know, let us know. I mean, this is a little more. I God, I think Brokeback Mountain might be the most mainstream film we've covered in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an awards film as well, which we don't see a lot of yeah. that. Uh, you would almost, I mean, if this movie came out this year, you'd be like, that's an awards bait film. Right. That is a film just going, hey, yeah, hand me statues. Right. And, uh, you know, usually I look the other way because I just feel like mm-hmm. when someone's trying to call it, maybe that's the city living. When someone's trying to call attention to themselves, you look the other direction. I don't know. <laughs> but it's been years since Brokeback Mountain came out. Yeah. And I was really interested in how it would read today, too. Mm-hmm. And interested in this, uh, this theme you have going here. Yeah. Patreon.com forward slash double feature. That's me exiting this segment. Look at that. Brokeback Mountain came out uh, at a time where it was very brave to be a movie about gay people, to even have a discussion about two gay guys um, in this way, I guess I should say, because like we were doing gay best friend for like 20 years, mm-hmm. but we weren't doing like emotionally, um, emotionally available stories of gay men and that that's why sort of when i mentioned like the emotional vulnerability of men in flyover country right like the reason i think brokeback mountains struck a chord and upon the rewatch kind of strikes still manages to strike that chord is that it's utilizing um this sect of american society that is like not supposed to be gay Right. Like nobody views this sect of American society as one emotionally available, but two, definitely not emotionally attracted to men. You're talking about people in the 60s who herd sheep over the season. (laughs) Right. I mean, no, but I mean, even when this came out, even in the even in the in the 2000 when this movie came out, it's you don't think of people in in the rural parts of the United States as being allowed to be gay. That's kind of what I mean, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously there are gay people everywhere. The percentage the percentage and statistic exists globally, mm-hmm. but they're not allowed to be even today. They're not allowed to be gay in in the same way. And so You see that just in the laws, you know what I mean? Right, that's true. Marriage equality was a a big demarcation line for me and well, mm-hmm. I mean before we really get to like the laws, life in those states, and uh, the real themes of the movie, we should, of course, logline it. Oh, yeah. I, I, you actually caught me uh, completely having forgotten about the logline. Okay. Well, you know, I said 60s. I said people watching after sheep. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it is too... Let's start to lean into a little bit of the public perception as a gay cowboy movie, right? So it's two cowboys that fall in love who lead, who lead publicly, at least... Uh, and personally, straight lives, but they meet each other. And after they both get bored of just eating beans, yeah. they decide to hook up and it causes problems at work. Sure. This is really a right. a problem that's hooking up at work, uh, romantic comedy. Right. But we see them through the whole film, we see them go back and forth. You know, it's not just uh, what would also kind of become. Uh, really another template for films. It's not like the summer they spent together, you know? Mm -hmm. It's really about how they came back into each other's lives over and over and how that, I mean, honestly, really tragically never fucking worked out. 
Right. And I think that that's one of the biggest differences that you can see with these two movies and the time that has elapsed between their release. Brokeback Mountain came out, while it, it, it obviously came out at a time where people on the far left end were trying to be like, listen, some people are gay and gay is okay. The movie is still really preoccupied with, uh, and maybe maybe it doesn't read this way to you. I'm actually kind of interested to see if you feel this way, but this movie is really preoccupied with like making it seem like they're gay, but on an emotional level. Mm. It's really concerned with trying to remove the promiscuity from homosexuality because I think that it's trying really hard to not feel exploitative. Mm. And the, on- the only gay people we've really seen in cinema up until this point are fucking slutty. And that's like the gag, right? It's all fucking, it's all Jack from Will and Grace. Sure. And so this movie in in doing its awards bait move, it's trying really hard to show that these men are emotionally invested in each other. And I think that's that's why they keep re-entering each other's orbit in the context of the film is because the movie is trying really hard to let you know this wasn't, you know, well, I couldn't find any other hole to fuck on that mountain, so I picked Jake Gyllenhaal. It's, I actually am emotionally invested in this person and I, I love them on a on an actual, like, relationship level. Well, yeah, it's funny, right? Because it's not that they are so bored up there. Right. It's that they're enjoying each other's company so much. It's kind right. of the opposite. Right. It's not like, oh, we're here and there's just nothing to do and we've been on the watch for so long. Uh, or the nights are so cold or whatever, which is you right. know, kind of like how how it starts. There's no like homuncular like trip where that where everything starts looking like food. You know, oh yeah. man, I'm gonna eat that. <laughs> that tree looks like right, a right, fucking right. slim jim. There's a sketch for you right there. I'm so hungry I could eat a tree. Right, yeah. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Just, so horny I could Fuck a Gyllenhaal. The, Doesn't yeah, matter which right, Gyllenhaal. Right, the mirage. Everything yeah. just starts turning into a naked Gyllenhaal. Yeah. <laughs> Heath Ledger, that's a cactus. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so it's it's something that has been under the surface. And I think you see that in a couple shots. You know, like there's, there's a really interesting shot where Heath Ledger's character is, uh, he's taking like a, like a basin bath or whatever and like a, you know, a big metal tub. And Jake Gyllenhaal's character, you know, Heath Ledger's out of the depth of field. He's blurry in the background. So you kind of see him over Jake Gyllenhaal's shoulder. And you can kind of see this look on his face. And the audience knows, it's sort of a theatrical irony. The audience knows that these two are going to hook up and that's what the movie's about. But the characters haven't acknowledged that at all. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're looking at, Jake Gyllenhaal's face and going this character in this moment how is he playing this like is he you know I can't help but look at him and go this is somebody who wants to turn and look right over his shoulder but doesn't mm-hmm. and so these uh, these ideas are kind of building up to the point where they're on the same page by the time it happens and so it's not that moment of really even curiosity you know, there isn't a curiosity to it. There's more of a, yeah, this is happening now where it wasn't before. Yeah. So look, I remember when this came out, mm-hmm. I remember a lot of the attention was on Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal. Right. 
and uh, and what they thought about the characters. And I remember both of them, don't quote me on this, but I remember both of them saying something kind of weird about how the characters weren't gay, but rather that they were straight characters who were open to this possibility. It was an idea that to me, and one of the reasons I really love this, is that I, I think the ideas posed in it are kind of dangerous. They're kind of ahead of their time. Yeah. If you just look at it as finally telling an emotional, uh, sort of emotionally fulfilling story about uh, two guys who aren't allowed to hook up in proper society. So that's a little ahead of its time, maybe. I mean, I think that's long overdue. But there's something kind of cooler in here, which is that... At the time, I feel like the interpretation of the movie was that maybe these were characters who were lying about who they were, who couldn't be honest mm-hmm. in society, you know, to their wives or to the, you know, the, they, weren't, they weren't out, they weren't open, and they had to deny a part of themselves. Whereas today, I think the movie reads a lot more, uh, I don't know, kind of, Fluid, I guess. I don't even know what you just... Well, there's, yeah, I there's mean... There's like a more poly reading of it. Did fluidity even exist when this movie Well, that's what I mean. Out. It had to be the gay right. cowboy movie. It couldn't be... Yeah. Yeah, we couldn't right. go, oh, yeah. the movie about two people on a spectrum who normally have sex with women who are open to having sex with each other and they do and it means more. Like, that's too complicated. Yeah. It's funny for society. that you call it out that way because it answers one of the issues I've always had with this movie. And a lot of this comes down to the performances. So let me take a quick aside, uh, very quick. All the performances are incredible. There you go. But I always kind of had a bone to pick with this movie, which is that just because you're gay doesn't mean you get to be shitty to the women in your life. And that always bothered me about this film is like, I think as a super woke before the term audience, you're supposed to sit there and be like, fuck yeah, gay cowboys. You guys just fuck each other and fuck out and who nobody else can't, nobody else matters. Yeah, yeah. It's you two against the world. And what kind of always bothered me is that the movie kind of goes, listen, if you're a gay guy and society won't let you bang other dudes, just do it behind women's back because women are just tools for your normalcy and you don't need to respect them as human beings. Mm. Use them for whatever whatever beard abilities they may present. But when you look at it in the terms of fluidity, it kind of dispels that a little bit where it's like, you know, maybe they also love their wives and it's just a very complicated scenario and they don't have terms like gender fluid or polyamory or polygamy or any of these words they they're not within their toolkit yeah, of yeah. how to express themselves at the time you know it's sort of like faulting a caveman for not driving to work yeah and that makes it a little bit of an easier thing for me to get my head around um well also think about when you see them mistreating other people in the movie whether it's their spouses or their kids yeah. Think about how it's treated in the film, right? I mean, I think the film is looking down on it too. Mm-hmm. The film might be a little more sympathetic to go like, look at the hard world these people have to live in. 
But they're not excusing, right. you know, the movie's not excusing the behavior. Right. The movie's basically going, look at the monstrous side that, right. you know, I think the most sympathetic reading is probably that society has created this monster as well. Right. You know, you're seeing like the the rough exterior mm -hmm. that they've put up. Well, and that's fundamentally what I wanted to talk about with the whole theme today mm. is this this sort of reality that there is a there's a social framework for you know and it's being dismantled to a certain degree but man we're okay so just warning minefield um <laughs> there's there's this social framework especially in the in the setting of this film where men are men men have to be men they they bury their emotions they put their head down they do the work they provide but they're not emotionally available individuals and as as we've moved on to the point where this movie came out, right? So there's that jump. That's one very logical jump for us to look at is there's the time where the film is set versus the time when it came out. So it comes out in a time where society is willing to be like, men can have feelings and emotions and be in love. And it's cute. Sometimes men are in love. But even that that time, there was still this devoidance of like really allowing men to have this emotional availability and furthermore, a lot of what it ends up being is like there's still this sort of elemental block where men feel like they cannot be emotionally available to other men unless they're fucking them, right? Mm. And that sort of that sort of like the backslide that this movie did is like, look, these men are emotionally emotionally available to their sexual partners, of course, but there is there's sort of this understanding where like, unless you're fucking men probably don't relate on, on like a deep emotional level and moving into today, there's even been more of a light shined on this, but, and this is the minefield with like this understanding that like men should be emotionally vulnerable and do the work to dismantle the predisposition of like what a man capital man is. Mm hmm. There's also the backhanded slap of shut up, you're a man. Your opinion matters less than it ever did. Stop complaining. It's easy for you. You're a man. Mm. And I've seen this, I've seen this opinion creep up a couple times. There's this thing right now, and I don't even want to say it's wrong because I don't think it is, but there's this thing right now where being a man is considered a privilege. And if you're not a man, your voice is more important right now. It needs to be, it needs, I shouldn't say is more important, but it needs to be elevated to the level that men's voices, especially white men have been elevated to for the last X number of years, right? That's the conversation. But I've even heard in some of these conversations that like, you know, it, it always comes with like that disclaimer of like, I would never say being a man is hard, but, and then there's this one thing and it's this emotional, because in this, in this whole systemic patriarchy everything is built in favor of men with the exception really being except men have also built themselves in this place where they're not allowed to be emotionally vulnerable they're not allowed to relate feelings they're having and uh unless they're fucking and that's what brokeback mountain brokeback mountain lives in that place where it's like trying to have that conversation but Although it's like, I think even the two of them have trouble. Right. I mean, Hall's character really doesn't start laying on thick with like what he wants in life. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we wouldn't have gotten so many revelations about his feelings in his life after he dies. Right. If they were 
so totally open with each other. Right. So I think that's even a problem here. The way, um, yeah, you're right, that is a minefield. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) As our resident New York gender X person here, I will uh, just sidestep that minefield and let you guys all deal with it. Uh, I left that behind with uh, my passport gender identification. I do want to get to that. Let's hold on that until the next movie. Yeah, it's definitely the, because the modern I feel like conversation there's a lot of lives that. in the other movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. like I just feel like you are describing the, the right. next movie to a T as well. Yeah, so the other thing I wanted to say about Brokeback Mountain is... I was thinking about, you know, just the the way we find out that character dies. A lot of the style of this movie is, uh, you know, I'm not actually completely emotionally sold on the power of this film until we just arrive in a scene and one of the characters is no longer alive. And we find out via fucking postcard. I think the last time we saw him was, you know, like in a ultra wide shot or something too. There's no goodbye. There's no studying of the face this is the last time you'll see him almost like life right Mm -hmm. it's just such a a great way and i think it uh man it really hits and it's interesting exploring that character after he's no longer in the film i think a lot of the artistic choices in this film there's um you know one of the things that's really slept on is the composition in this i won't go off on a whole thing we're not a visual medium but man, like Jake laying there with one knee up, framing Heath in the negative space over the show. Like, I just think of that shot. You know, it's, uh, you could draw it from memory. The composition's so good. There is a place that this rests in the history of cinema where, you know, you talked a lot about what the landscape was like at the time. I remember this movie, you know, this was one of the things that cued me off on what one of the major persuasive powers of movies and especially mainstream movies for as much as I knock them, what they can accomplish, Mm -hmm. you know, because this movie, we had a marriage equality here in 2015. And I remember that moment hitting me with a lot of surprise because I just didn't know that the United States was there yet. I just felt like, You know, like, of course we should be, but I just felt like, oh, wow, this was an unexpected victory. And when you look at the time leading up to that, media is really interesting to me. You know, Brokeback Mountain comes out, it wins awards, people pay attention to it. And because it's successful, other movies come out trying to make some of that Brokeback money. You know, but it does create a space for other movies, large and small, mm-hmm. it sort of proves their concept out, right? Like, oh, we can do this now. Look, this worked in a big way with this film everyone knows. And a lot of times, especially when you need to get the money for film, the people writing those checks, they see like two movies a year. You know, they don't, mm-hmm. they don't know what's in movies. So Brokeback Mountain being a huge fucking movie is so helpful to smaller films to go, oh, you, you've heard of Brokeback Mountain? Right, we're trying to do that, but with this twist or with this kind of other, you know, it's Brokeback meets fucking Jaws or whatever the fuck, you know? Mm-hmm. Just running through a mental list to see if I, if I know that movie, but I, <laughs> not off the top of my head. I'm sure it's out there. 
And then TV, you know, you and I saw that in TV a lot growing up and especially after this movie. And I really mm -hmm. did feel like TV, film, this was one of the things that really helped melt away this taboo and is mostly a taboo that was preventing equality. Because I do think majority of the country's ready for it, but doesn't have a strong, you know, like they're not, they're not so ready they'll vote on it, right? Mm -hmm. Majority of the country always seems to be, I would say the majority of people in the United States are behind the majority of socially progressive things we want to do in this country, but nobody's activated. Mm -hmm. People haven't really thought about it. You know, they haven't taken the time or they don't know anybody it affects, right? Oh, you live in the middle of the country. You don't know any gay people. You don't know anybody who's out even because the conversation's so hard to have. Mm -hmm. And then you see this movie, you see a couple TV shows, the people in small towns, they don't know a lot of people, but they know one of the characters on their favorite shows is gay and they like that show. And you know what? That character doesn't seem to be harming anybody. Mm -hmm. And I know, like, maybe it sounds oversimplified, but I do think that's persuasive, even if it's, I don't know, subliminally. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that this is one of the powers that, you know, that mainstream cinema can wield and why it's probably a, a good thing that we spend so much time talking about diversifying these movies. Is there such a thing as too much diversity? Asked the death of Dick Long. <laughs> Can some small towns have too much love, Michael Custer? Sort of to go back to the 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 grand conversation, just to like frame this before the logline is um, this is a great movie to sort of continue the conversation from the previous film because here we have three more good old boys, right, set in rural Alabama, and they have this like private emotional connection to each other and they're not fucking each other. It's this removal. It, it, they're sharing like the absolute depths of the darkest secret, but they, they have this, this mutual trust, this mutual understanding. I would argue that Dick long himself probably was never like, listen, if this horse fucks me to death, please do everything you can to make sure that like, it's not weird for my family. Yeah. That's just like an understanding <laughs> yeah. that I assume these men have, which brings us to the log line actually. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I mean, I don't really know if you would say this is based on this real case, Yeah, but there, there is inspired. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Inspired is a weird word to use in the context of this film. Basically, everything is strange in the context of this film. But there's this horse sex case in 2005, as the papers called it. There's a, uh, a documentary on it called Zoo. And, um, you know, it is about a guy who was, as this movie puts it, fucked to death by a horse. If you didn't watch the movie, you might go, how could one be fucked to death by a horse? Uh, I mean, watch the movie to find out, man. I don't know what to tell you about that. Mm -hmm. But what I think is kind of cool about this is it gives some humanity to this real case that is kind of like, it's not that this movie isn't a what the fuck kind of movie because there is still a lot of, oh, what the fuck kind of nature to it. Mm -hmm. Even the scene where that information is delivered, you know, it's spoke mm -hmm. openly for the first time. Mm -hmm. It's just spoken to a reaction shot of how would a person take this information. 
But I do think what's interesting about Zoo, what's interesting about this case is that there's more details to really like why did this happen and the fact that there's kind of an infrastructure for it to have happened is uh, all of that is really, you know, the people in the case are weird and interesting and deserve, uh, really deserve a whole movie looking at them and their lives. And that's what this movie gives us. I also think comparing these two movies is uh, interesting today because, you know, in the first movie, you could talk a lot about, well, what happens once we dismantle this taboo and that taboo? And every time we talk about this, we're talking about conversations the public isn't ready to have yet, people who live with a secret, and it usually ends with some piece about melting away the taboo. We get rid of the taboo. Everything is better for everybody. But I don't know that I've ever considered that there are some things that are taboo that will never be okay. Yeah. I don't think on a long enough timeline, everyone accepts bestiality. I think on a long enough timeline, no one accepts bestiality. Fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a movie that could be framed in the same way people are keeping secrets about their true nature to their closest family members. The secrets are sexual in nature. And uh, there's a great deal of kind of, well, obviously shame around it. And so to think about, well, how does all of the structure of something being tabooed and sheltered and closeted and whatever, how does that work when you're talking about an immoral and criminal act, right? Right. So for instance, main character, can't share the secret with anyone. Horribly shameful. Can't explain what happened to Dick Long. Can't tell his wife. Has to make up lie after lie to hide it. Now, in the previous movie, that's a secret that should just be wonderful, open, shared with everyone. Mm -hmm. And because the secret here is, um, I don't know, just because it's such an awful thing, there really isn't this, this obvious... I guess because the nature of the thing is so heinous, there isn't an obvious solution to how do you address that this happened. Right. You can't simply go, oh, well, he should have just told his wife. Oh, if only he had courage, convictions. Oh, if only society didn't make this such a hush-hush thing. And so I just, I just never really thought that about something that was taboo before. There really are... You know, I, I spend all my time like railing against things being taboo and getting rid of them. And I'm not really sure the place that information like this should rest. It's like beyond the pale type information. What do you do with that? I mean, I don't know. Do you think it's like taboo to eat people? You mean cannibalism? Yeah, I'm ah, saying. You're talking about cannibalism without consent, perhaps. Yes. That's true. Okay, that's fair. Should should stay uh, well. So that that but that 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 actually does answer my question. Let's say that let's say that on a long enough timeline, a much much a dick long <laughs> enough timeline, um, some horse develops the ability to be like, I would really like to fuck a cowboy. Wow, you you really got Who into like the twenty five fifty two. Yeah, we're talking. The year yeah. is twenty five fifty two. Right, sentient horses are trying to decide <laughs> whether whether to elect our third AI president in a row or our first woman president. And a horse <laughs> is trying to be like, oh, you should fuck well, me. Why and, will you no know, one have sex with me? Yeah, yeah. Come on. 
Um, it is worth saying that this movie isn't devoid of comedy either. Like, right. there is something that is, you know, the the story became a punchline, the zoo story. For sure. And what was buried under that story is that these guys were shooting bestiality pornography. Mm-hmm. And what I really thought was pretty interesting about this group is that it was said that the guy who died, he had been in an accident previously and he couldn't feel sexual gratification and it led him to these extreme acts. Mm -hmm. And that started reminding me of, I mean, you, you really can't compare any, anything from the death of Dick Long to anything else because it just makes it sound scuzzy and disgusting. But it, it reminded me of hardcore BDSM or when you talk to people about, you know, why they got into these kind of things. Mm -hmm. There was an interesting kind of human anecdote under this awful act. I mean, you are right. There is no, it's definitely not a situation of like, if only these men felt empowered to be emotionally available, maybe they wouldn't have fucked the whore. That's not really what's on the table here. But I do think that there is an aspect of that where they have to, where once they, once, you know what I mean? Like once you, once you whip your dick out in front of two other friends, you guys are going somewhere that you've never been before. And it's very easy to think that society's not going to be okay with you after that moment. Let's say it doesn't start with fucking a horse. Let's say they get drunk one night and the first guy just whips his dick out. He's like, I just kind of want to jerk off. Once that line is crossed, especially in fucking rural Alabama, that story doesn't get shared with anyone outside that room, you know? And I, I find it very difficult to believe the movie doesn't tell you this, which I think is smart, but uh, I find it very difficult to believe that they just finished band practice one night and they're like, you know what? I'm going to fuck this horse. Well, yeah, it is interesting that they're, they don't really talk about the sexuality between the three of them. Right. You know, we see the main character leave with his friend at the end of the movie, but I really get the sense that, you know, from what he says, he says something like, oh, the thing with the horse has been going on, you know, longer than our, than we've been together or whatever. Yeah. Which is I mean, that, like yeah. <laughs> meant to make her feel better, but is also like, oh, this is deeply horrifying. This is- right. Right. Again, well, like it, I use the phrase beyond the pale, like that's her reaction is like, yeah. just don't even talk. Just don't even say anything. Well, the movie, the movie's basically like, oh, a straight guy fucking a horse. And he's like, no, 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 I'm a horse fucker who got married. That's what <laughs> right. you're, you're misinterpreting right, yeah. who I am. Well, look, I feel like I have successfully navigated every landmine you've thrown me. So I will give you a hot take for uh, this movie just to get myself in a, a little bit of trouble here. I think that, um, you know, there's the style of this movie is very like there's a mystery element to it. There's some Fargo-ness to it. And then there's like, you know, like the nickelback of it all, the sort of uh, the disturbed ringtone. Part of it is culture. We're talking about people in Alabama and that is not uh, completely lost on the movie. In fact, I think that's a lot of the the genetic makeup of the movie what's this about it's about some guys in alabama that's an important part and 
you know, when I think about why does this happen or what's sort of the, the deeper meaning of what's going on here, what are the themes, I did mention shame a little bit and maybe a little bit of this idea of like not, you know, a character not telling their, their true nature to their closest family. But I also think there is something about being alone that maybe this is just a little bit because of the zoo documentary as well. But, you know, a club of guys who get together to shoot bestiality porn, something deeper is going on there. Mm -hmm. I'm not a psychologist. I, I can't really speak to like mentally what's happening. But, you know, you're in a remote area which is where we, we have this sort of uh, cliche connotation with these things happening. And part of that is just like in the city, there aren't farm animals. So the cases of bestiality are going to be less because there's just less farm animals. But also, you know, in the city, there's an overwhelming number of things to do. Mm -hmm. You don't just have four people you hang out with and no further options. And... I've talked before about, you know, New York having, um, like it, it being, even though there's so many people, still a lonely city, you know, we've, that's all cities. I mean, people can be mm -hmm. alone anywhere. This isn't an Alabama thing. People can be alone anywhere on earth. But there is just an overwhelming amount of things to do, the sort of appearance of possibility. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think, you know, when I think about Alabama, I feel trapped. Sure. And this is where, you know, whatever, come at me with your, your fucking defenses of Alabama. I don't give a fuck. But I would, it's what keeps me out of small towns. I don't want to know only three people. And if my relationship with one of the three falls apart, a third of the town now hates me. And Well, and imagine, imagine all of this and you don't drink alcohol. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't survive in a small. We tried that. Yeah, that's yeah. Eric doesn't work in a small town. It doesn't. It it can't happen. And so I'm always interested. You know, you hear a story like this of something extremely fucked up or perverse that happens in a small town, and I wonder about the nature of being alone in a small town and how people get up to just weirder, more bizarre. I mean, things I would never even think to write a character that does, you know? <laughs> like, it would not even occur to me that these three guys in a band share the secret of one of them having sex with a horse. It just seems so completely bizarre. And then I think back to the zoo case and I think to how, how somehow, how an entire group of people who live in the middle of nowhere, there's enough of them to all get together for a club where they film this. I mean, it, it's just kind of mind-blowing in a way. How does that happen, I guess, is, you know, like, that's the question that's always on my mind, that uh, if I understood the soft sciences better, that is, that's the real character study that I want to get to. And I'm not sure watching The Death of Dick Long that we really get insight into, like, why, Right. What what is the the root cause of this? Well, we'll now have to wait another the the amount of time that elapsed between Brokeback Mountain and Death of Dick Long. We need another chunk of that time before we're ready to have that conversation cinematically. I think. Ugh. I don't know if humanity knows yet. You know, I think that's part of it too. Yeah, exactly. Is that people? For just, sure. We don't have the words. We are we are now the cavemen being made <laughs> fun of for not driving to work. 
All right, we got a website. It's patreon.com forward slash double feature. Really went out there for some movies today. Had a, a conversation that was long overdue and then another conversation that I don't know that humanity will ever be ready for. I, uh, I just want to go back and reference the previous portion of this show whereby I said, you just wait 45 minutes. <laughs> Thank you for waiting. I feel like we have proved my point. <laughs> I have a couple executive producers who put up with programming such as this. Cool. Their names are Charles Crawford, Ben Ecker, Brad Parker, and Joachim Vernon. And just for you guys and the other executive producers, everybody on the Patreon, and you, dear listener, we have another show coming up next time. We do. They just The hits just keep coming. Um, we're going to do uh, a, couple, a couple very heady... Very foreign takes of very familiar cinematic monsters. We're going to cover Park Chan Wook's Thirst, and then we're pairing that with the uh, the much beloved Brotherhood of the Wolf. Are there vampires? Are there werewolves? <laughs> Only time will tell. Watch more fucking films. All right, bye. <laughs>